know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Siege, the Toronto Maple Leafs, stave off elimination. Uh, they were entering game four down 3-0. The attempt at a comeback is on for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I, I don't don't mind me laughing, but it, it it's very hard for them to do this. If they do it, it'll be history. It'll be historic. But it's a challenge. It, it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. But what I would say to you is, what we saw in Game Four at least gives you the whiff of possibility that they're up to the challenge uh, because they just spent what forty eight hours uh, being you know, subjected to a lot of speculation from people like you and I about who might come and go, what it might mean. And, you know, being swept, don't make no mistake. Avoiding a sweep is, is worth something, I think, in this instance, because they did show pushback. They showed battle level. They showed fight. They won a, they won a playoff game on the road the way you have to win a playoff game on the road. Blocking shots, not giving up too many high danger chances. Obviously, they got a good break on on the, the first goal. The game goes off the official, bounces out front to Nylander. Um, you know, they they found a way, and I thought their their top players played hard and showed commitment. And I have no idea if they can repeat it one more time, two more times, or three more times. But I think the way they won the game makes me go like, huh, okay. You, you know, they they didn't go away quietly, which was obviously their goal, and so. This is not a prediction. I have no idea what's going to happen. Maybe the season just ends Friday night, but um, they, they showed me enough to make me think, hey, this, they, they, they might have this in them. We'll just have to see how it goes. What did you think of how uh, Mitch Marner played? That's a guy, we we're talking about guys who were getting picked apart in the last few days. That's a guy who's getting picked apart for, for his reaction to, you know, I'm thinking of the specific comments where you say, you know, we don't pay attention to stuff that's going on outside. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but like, that's a guy who has very much been under fire. It feels as if almost every year when the Leafs make the playoffs, his name comes up. What did you think of how he played? I'll say that there's defiance in his game. That's what I saw. There was, there was a, a degree of pushback and look at Mitch Marner is, is not a big guy. What's, what's made him one of the better players in the league is, is, is clearly his offensive gifts, his ability to see the ice. He's so creative. You know, he's, he's more of a finesse and skill player than anything else. But, you know, to, to, to play this time of year, though, you need to add a little different element, I think. And, and we saw some in his game. You know, I think he was credited with three or four hits on the night. Certainly was more physically engaged. Um, you know, gets a goal, uh, which, you know, I think will, will probably lift some weight off his shoulders. It's kind of ironic, actually. The, the, the two goals in the game by Toronto in a 2-1 win, very tight game, are, are William Nylander and Mitch Marner. And I actually think the best things those players both did had nothing to do with scoring. You know, William Nylander showed a lot more defensive uh, awareness, maybe, commitment, whatever you want to call it. He was, he was backtracking to the neutral zone, breaking up plays. You know, he, he helped ease some of the burden on the defensemen that were on the ice when he was out there playing because I think he, he really was showing a different level of engagement defensively. And, and I, I'd say, you know, Mitch Marner is always more defensively aware, but, but he, he got some of his swagger back, Julian. That's, that's the way I see it. I mean, what, what, 
made game three so perplexing is just the stakes were, were high, right? You're down 2-0 in the series at that time. You know, we're, you're expecting a statement type of night from, from all the top players in that moment, just given all they've put into the season, right? They're more than 90 games in at this point. And, and for the, the core players on the team, they're, they're seven years in or five years in, in the case of John Tavares. But, you know, they've been here a long time. And, and Mitch just looked a little lost in that game. But, you know, I like, I like the pushback in game four. I like, I, like, I like seeing him, like, a little edgy even. You know, he, he's taking those glove shots at the buzzer from Matthew Kachuk. And then, you know, he's asked about it. You know, him and Kachuk, of course, played for the London Knights together, former teammates, know each other well. You know, and he said, I don't give a flying, you know what the swear word is. Uh, like, I just, there, there was a little edge there, and I, and I, I think that's good. I, I do think it's necessary to have a different level of commitment to winning the playoffs. And, and Mitch Varner was leading the way for the Leafs in that game. And, it, of course, then he gets rewarded with a goal, a bit of a seeing eye shot from distance. You know, that's, that's, it's just funny how those things kind of work out. And I think because he's been under such pressure to produce, I really do believe he hasn't scored since game two of round one, Julian. So I, I think that even just a goal that goes in that way might free him up a little mentally um, to, to, you know, get back to doing some of the stuff he does best. There's been so much pressure on the core four. Like that, that phrase has been used a lot the last few days, especially once the series ended up being 3-0 in favor of the Panthers and good on Nylander and, and Marner for those two guys, just for them to score. But that pressure obviously is not going to be alleviated. What about for management? What about for Kyle Dubas? What about for, for Brendan Shanahan, who, look, I, 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 this is the first time I've seen him around the team uh, all playoffs long. You've obviously been following the team. You may have seen him in other points, but, like, there's, like, a shot that, like, Tic-Tac-Tomar, there's, like, a gif that he put up. And, like, you see guys in the in their, in the Leafs box, and, like, Brendan Shanahan's kind of in this curious position where this TV's kind of blocking him. Like, there's, like, a weird conspiracy in my head thinking, like, he purposefully picked that spot just so he could sort of be hidden. But, like, I'm curious about the pressure that those two guys, Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan, are facing throughout this series because you have to think their jobs are on the line. Well, it's immense. And, you know, I've talked to, over the years to various management people in these situations, and it's such a helpless feeling when you get into playoff series. I mean, obviously there's things behind the scenes that they can try to help the coaching staff. They're another set of eyes in terms of bouncing ideas off. They can maybe pull a player aside here or there to try to, to help out in that way. But there's really, objectively speaking, there's not all that much a GM or team president can do other than watch the games uh, up in the press box alongside me and my colleagues. Um, they, they can't really out, you know, affect the outcome any more than they already have by building the team and making the decisions they did that, that got the Leafs to this stage. And so I, I think it's got to be tough watching it. And, you know, it's funny. I've obviously crossed paths with them, you know, both in Tampa and, and at the games here in, in South Florida. Um, you know, we were in the elevator together, actually it's kind of an awkward feeling right after the game three overtime loss, like right in the moments after you're all just jammed in this small elevator. It's, um, you know, I, I can only imagine what's been going through their minds. I mean, they're, they're as aware of this as anyone. I mean, they don't, they don't need some, they don't need someone in the media to point out that, Hey, if this doesn't work, you know, you might not have anywhere to work yourself next year and you know in the case of Kyle Dubas of course being on an expiring contract I mean I certainly think he'll have a job somewhere if, if not in Toronto but um you know it was interesting to see Shanahan and I'll put it that way in in the management box because he has not been watching all the time from there uh I'm not trying to fuel speculation here about anything because I think 
he, I know a little bit of talking to him in the past. He likes to watch sometimes from right, right down low at ice level. Uh, I think he's almost maybe even a little bit superstitious about that sort of thing. Um, and, and he's, and he's been around, like he's been at practice through the playoffs. Him and Dubas have stood together and are talking, you know, all those sorts of things, but to see him in there, there's not a lot of accidents. I just wonder if, you know, maybe there's some unity there. Even, even the day before they were all sitting together, they, they had a practice day here in Florida and, uh, Brendan was wearing like a Leafs hoodie. I'd never seen him. He's always, he always looks so like perfectly put together in a suit. Um, you know, maybe in this, it sounds weird, but maybe when you're sort of facing elimination, when you're down 0-3, when, when kind of everything's on the line, maybe it almost brings people closer together because you probably get a gallows humor behind the scenes is my guess. Probably, probably some jokes about the situation. How else do you alleviate tension? Right. Um, and I actually think for the players now more than management, I think having the two days between game three and four in this series might've helped the Leafs. I mean, Morgan Riley said explicitly, he found that time helpful to sort of really work through his thoughts and like, restore belief and just, you know, kind of process where they were at. I think you know, the Leafs are probably as stunned as their fan base um, to find themselves down 0-3, especially after finally winning a playoff series, uh, you know, just eight, nine days before. And, you know, that might've contributed. I mean, you get to rest your, your mind and your body a little bit before that game. And, and we saw, as I mentioned, like a real commitment, I think that playing the hard way to win. And, and, you know, now there's no two off days. <laughs> it's going to be every other day with travel. Uh, and so it's, it's going to be a slog if the Leafs can, can extend this thing out. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of interesting too. like Sheldon Keefe's mood changed in those days. Um, you know, obviously he was sort of emotional after the, the game three loss and, and you know, there's a, there's an edge of attention with the questions being asked, you know, it's, it's not a, it's a tough time, but then on the morning of game four, Keefe, basically gave up his whole lineup, like, like didn't disguise anything the way he's kind of been doing in the playoffs was almost just like, this is, this is the team that's, you know, he's, he was going to, he's ride or dying with his guys, so to speak. And, and um, I just wonder, like, we'll see where this goes. I mean, look, they lose Friday, who knows what we're talking about, but it just, it's just funny. Like if they ever do my own comeback, I wonder if they'll look back on that period where everyone kind of came closer together um, under like the most direct heat you could be under, under the spotlight, under the media, speculation i mean look i we, we talked about each other on the previous show julian but I, I basically wrote a column with their season over right and and maybe maybe it'll be egg on my face and a lot of others if somehow they uh manage to do the impossible here like if they do the impossible i was talking about it with uh, uh a few other friends yesterday like i mean that's that's nothing short of historic obviously but like just the thought of of the leafs like if it gets to that point they somehow come back from a 3-0 deficit like the core, the, their place in history, like they're going to be like remembered as like heroes in a certain sense, right? Like that's when they'll officially get that label of, of truly being different. But of course that's putting the cart before the horse at this point. Right, but if you're them, I think you have to embrace that. Like, I think that, I wonder if they're talking about that a little bit because it is a chance to just sort of give a giant middle finger to anyone who's ever questioned or doubted them. Right. And there's a lot of people in that camp. I mean, let's face it. They've given us lots of reason to question and doubt them too. I mean, it, it's, it's not as though those are made up narratives. It's none of this is personal. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's more that they, they have consistently played down to the moment and, and had trouble getting through the elimination style games. Um, but they can, they can wipe away a lot of years of history. This is one thing that they have said again, and again, even the very first day of training camp, I remember Kyle Dubas saying it's another chance to change the story, right? 
if they change the story, the story has changed. The, the labels that they have, the, the things that are written and said will, will all flip 180 degrees in one day uh, if they could ever get the job done. And, you know, I still think, look, I don't know if the, the problem now, I think that the real issue going down 03 is you can play a really good game and lose, right? Like it's not, that, that's just a fact. It's, it's hockey. Weird things happen. So you, you, in some ways you've just, you've just removed all your margin for error. But I think even if they can just force it to game six, like I think there's value every time that they can show the pushback, show that they care, prove. I mean, I have never doubted their care, but I think sometimes fans think that way uh, just because, you know, I'm a little closer to it and know the guys. Like I see how heavily it weighs on them when they've failed to deliver in the big moments. Like I, I don't think the issue at all has been care. It might almost be care too much at times, you know, especially when I think of a, a player like Mitch Marner, a local guy with a lot on his shoulders, I think who puts a lot of pressure on himself you know, some of the years maybe where he hasn't delivered in those big moments, you just wonder almost like if he could, you almost want to get him on the psychologist couch a little bit, right. And, and, and get his mind in, in a good spot. Um, that's, that's what I liked in their game four. I thought, I thought that they had the right mindset. They clearly played in a way that could allow them to have success. They protected Joseph wall, right. We haven't even talked about the fact that they've thrown in an, an unproven goaltender here, you know, through an injury to, to Ilya Samsonov. And I, I didn't think they asked too much of him in that moment. I mean, he was, he was solid. He made the saves he had to make, but it wasn't like a flurry of odd man rushes. And, you know, they got hemmed in a little bit, but it, it wasn't like earlier in the series, you know, where Samson, I think at times has really been put under duress by the Panthers. I thought the Leafs protected a goaltender in that situation. He's making his first ever pro playoff game start. He never started a, a playoff game in the American Hockey League. Um, and he handled himself well. And now, now we get, now we get the chance to dream of an interesting series, but doesn't, in my mind, it doesn't really get interesting unless I'm getting on a plane and flying back here to, to Fort Lauderdale in two days' time. Because you've been on so many of those flights, you would so love another one, wouldn't you? I'm not going to complain. I mean, I am living my dream, man. Like these are the these are the biggest games of the year. I, I I'm not one of those media guys that's that's bitter every time the series goes longer. I mean, I guess that. If I'm being honest, there probably have been a few instances in my life, specific instances where I just wanted a series to end, not because I was cheering against a particular team, but I just wanted a few days off, probably. But you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm prepared to go seven in this round if that's if that's what's in the offing. Um, but it's it's going to be difficult. I mean, the Panthers, you know, the, the Panthers have history in front of them too. Like they've they've been a tremendous story, man. Six game wins in a row in the in the playoffs is tough to do, right? And and they were left for dead six weeks ago, including on this podcast. So, you know, now, now they're looking at the chance, you know, they're starting to talk about, look, we have a Stanley cup final here. Like this is, this is the, it's the cool part of the playoffs, right? It happens slowly and fast at the same time. It's kind of like an optical illusion. Like it, cause it is, it takes forever, right? Like the, this, this series is only at two games in what the last like six days. So it's playing out slowly. They're doing, they're slogging through all these media availabilities and all this stuff. But then, you look around all of a sudden you're like, Oh wait, like we're one of eight teams left. It's going to be four before you know it. And uh, as we've talked about previously, I don't think there's one alpha dog out there. I mean, it might be the Oilers, I guess, but I, this, this is such a weird playoff. Dude, this Leafs Panther series is the closest series, even though it's three, one, like the games have been four, two, three, two, three, two, and two, one. I mean, they've all been kind of one shot, either way type of games. And, and that's kind of the irony too, that the Panthers built a three nothing lead and that we've been so hard on the Leafs is that the Leafs have legitimately, especially the last three been, been in the game with a chance to win it. They had a lead in each of the last three games in the series um, by scoring the first goal and the first two in game two. 
Um, so it, it's, it's just kind of funny the way it's, it's happened, but yeah, I mean, the least I think they really want to put pressure on Florida. I don't think pressure comes in the equation and unless or until they win game five, I think, I think if you are coming back here for game six and again, because it's going to be every other day now with, you know, three hour flights in the middle and there's not going to be a lot of time to slow things down and, and, and re- regain your bearing. So I think that that's what the Leafs are trying to embrace is, is just, just to actually put some pressure on the Panthers and see how they handle it. Okay, last thing before I get to you can bet that. Is there a scenario where during this – because we're, we're all talking about whether or not there's going to be big changes with the Leafs. Is there a scenario where it doesn't happen? Is it only applicable if they somehow come back and win it in seven? If, let's say, like they force it to six, is there a possibility where damage could be limited? It's hard to say. You know, it's really – I don't have the answer to that question. I have to think – I have to think if they get it to game seven though, and, and you lose a game seven, if you like, I mean, look, this, the Leafs are at the result stage of their, of where they're at, right? Like it's, it's not about moral victories. It's in, and they needed to win around, which they did, you know, I think not going quietly or easily against the Panthers shows something, but you know, change is inevitable anyway. I mean, they, part of the reason for the change is that it's been a number of years. Part of the reason is there's little contractual decisions, whether it's the fact William Melander can be signed to an extension or Austin Matthews on July 1st, the fact that Kyle Dubas doesn't have a contract. Um, I, I think if they lose in this series, there's still probably some degree of change. I don't know how deep it'll be. I think had they been swept, had they just sort of folded last night, I, I think that the, the possibility or the likelihood of, ma- of bigger change was there because your ownership of this team, I don't think you can watch that and, and feel confident in, in running it all back. But sure, I, it's crazy to say after all these years, but another win or two, makes it, I think, makes a big difference on how this looks, how this feels, and ultimately how the decisions will unfold when it comes time to make those decisions. Okay, uh, we're going to go to You Can Bet That, and then we're going to touch off on the Oilers Golden Knights series after that segment. You Can Bet That with David Bastel, brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Welcome to You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. Uh, I've got another one of uh, Dangle's doozies for you, Siege. Uh, Matthews on Matthew, this is called. Uh, most points, goals, and assists uh, between Austin Matthews or Matthew Kachuk for Game 5 uh, of the Panthers-Leaf series. Matthews the favorite at minus 133. Actually, no, sorry, misreading that. Matthew Kachuk the favorite at minus 105, but Matthews also at minus 133. Who are you picking? I would lean towards Austin Matthews. I, I think he's actually played a little better in the series. Kachuk had a big Game 1. And, and has been a little quieter since then. I mean, there's, there's there's not too much quiet about the way Matthew Kachuk plays. You know, we saw him in the scrums and the like, but but hasn't really been generating a ton offensively. I think if you look at the underlying numbers for Austin Matthews, he's been Toronto's best player consistently. I mean, obviously from a game in game out standpoint, that isn't always the case, but I almost feel like he's a little bit due. He's had some looks, he's had some posts in the series. I mean, he hasn't scored yet in the series. You don't find many five-game stretches where he goes without a goal. And so I, I would be inclined with the game being at home with the stakes for the Leafs to, to say that Austin Matthews is going to have his moment on, on Friday. Okay. Uh, I would have gone the opposite, honestly. feel as if we're still waiting for that big game from Matthew Kachuk, but uh, we're allowed to we're allowed to disagree on this show every now and again. 
Oh yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it with a ton of conviction. I mean, that, Me it, 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 but I, I, my inclination would be awesome. Matthews. I, I think that he's been around it and he's just needing a breakthrough and, and, you know, I, I, I've just watched a guy play enough games. I'm, I'm never thinking that he's going to have 10 games where he doesn't score. Just, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that, that, and the Leafs have to go win that game too. Like that's the other thing. The stakes, stakes are a little different on one side than the other. Absolutely true. Don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds before game, in game, and the best props. Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. This episode of The Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Manscaped. Friends, family, and loved ones, I bet you haven't purchased a Father's Day gift yet. Have you? Not to fear, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming are here, and I'm talking about our friends at Manscaped. They're saving the day again with the total package for the father figure in your life this year. It's time to upgrade his game from waist to face with this exclusive offer. Have him join the 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get 20% off free shipping as well with the code CJShow at Manscaped.com. Let's talk about the Father's Day MVP. We've talked about it a lot on the show. The Performance Package. 4.0. 4.0. Inside this package, you will find the lawnmower trimmer, the 4.0 edition, really good. A brand new weed whacker 2.0, uh, both for your ear and your nose. Well, crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all of those goodies. And don't uh, forget about the Beard Hedger Pro Kit as well just in case so you got one of those long beards or anything like what CJ has, really. I know he's got the gray in his beard. He likes to talk about it a lot. You can get one of those beard hedges to trim some of that, too. Uh, some conditioner and beard shampoo as well. Beard oil, beard balm, two free gifts as well, uh, including the beard comb and scissors. Tell you, man, this package has everything. If your father's grooming routine is already dialed, make sure to hook him up with those boxers as well. The performance boxer briefs, they feel really comfortable really sleek they are the best boxers for men of all ages whether he's mowing the lawn taking out the trash or golfing in the sun these boxers breathe without breaking a sweat get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code cj show at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com just use the code cj show make this father's day one he won't forget with manscaped uh, for those not watching on YouTube, uh, CJ is in the middle of uh, of the airport in uh, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, I got to say, just shout out to you being, uh, you know, we got to move schedules around in order to make it work all the time for these shows. But the fact that you're willing to do these shows from the airport, like, thank you for, you know, doing that. Like, that's really cool. <laughs> I'm getting lots of funny looks because I got like my little tripod set up here. I've got a, I've got a small camera light. Um, I see a few people like double taking, like what's, what is this guy doing? I'm literally set up on a garbage can, like on top of the garbage no can. Way. Yeah. I, if anyone's been to terminal two at Fort Lauderdale international airport, it is a gong show terminal. It's always busy. There's not, there's not really quiet spaces. There's not really much just like food court type seating anywhere. So I'm just, I'm just literally uh, living my, living my work life here and uh, getting some funny looks as people go by. Yeah. Literally as like, you're answering questions. I'm just spotting people in the background. There was a guy in a Leafs jersey who went in the, I don't know what restaurants behind you, but he like went in and I'm just wondering, like, I wonder if he knows 
that Chris Johnston is like how many feet away from him. And I wonder what he'd do if he realized. I actually got stopped twice on the concourse last night by fans of the podcast. So uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people repping blue and white down here. I don't know if there are snowbirds that live down here or just flew down for the games, what have you. But uh, yeah, I took a couple selfies on the concourse last night uh, with CJ show listeners. CJ show selfies with hundred percenters. I like it. Justin Thomas was at the game last night too. I didn't see him though. The golfer? Yep, the pro golfer. Oh yeah. I wonder if Bro- now that makes me now it makes you wonder if Brooks Kepka is going to make an appearance. Well, he was in Toronto for game two. Uh, oh, took some, yeah, took some selfies with fans and it was circulating on social media. He was there wearing a Panthers jersey. Uh, the Live Golf Tour has a tournament this weekend, so Mike, I don't know if he would have been able to make yesterday's game, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, look, this is, we're right in golf country here, right? I mean, a lot of the, the best PGA Tour players live within half an hour, hour drive of, of the Panthers Arena. So I guess it only stands to reasons they got a few fans in that, in that, uh, in that sport. Makes sense. Um, let's talk a little bit about another playoff series going on involving another Canadian team, uh, the Edmonton Oilers and the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. It's what, you made a really great point in the last segment where that's the Leafs-Panthers series is 3-1 for Florida but the games there seem to be close. Whereas you have Vegas and Edmonton where they seem to be trading these wins. And I don't know if I get that same sense of, of closeness and I don't get that sense of one team firmly grasping the series over the other. One team seems to generate momentum, then the next team, then back to one team, then to the other. You could say that about uh, Dallas and Seattle too, but especially so in the case of Edmonton and Vegas, what do you make of that series? Yeah, you don't want to miss the first period of games in that series because usually after the first period, you're just watching to see what chaos is going to ensue because usually the outcome is kind of sealed in one direction or another. Um, it's an interesting series. You know, I, I give the Oilers credit now. They've, they've taken two pretty big punches in games one and three and had to sort of answer them and, and not find, not allow a series to kind of get in a situation, for example, the Leafs did. And they've come back strongly and, and really had strong openings in games two and four to even it up. Um, you know, you have to like, I mean, the hundred percenters will know I've been back into Oilers from the start. So I'm, I'm certainly not, I'm not seeing anything yet that makes me doubt or second guess my pick. Um, you know, the fact that Laurent Brassois has left injured and, and given way to, to Aiden Hill and, and the Golden Knights net, you know, makes me think the, the Oilers got a little bit of an opportunity there. And, you know, I just think that they have the right, they have the right makeup. I mean, obviously they have great players, but it's, it seems to me you're seeing the things you want out of a playoff hardened team that, that, you know, they, they know the importance of not letting things get too far away from them of squandering too many opportunities. And, and, you know, we'll see what happens now with uh, some of the potential suspensions in that series to, to really the two most impactful defensemen, Alex Petrangelo, who had the, the big slash on Leon Dreisaitl away from the play. And then, you know, an automatic uh, instigator fight fighting major went to, to Darnell Nurse in the last five minutes of the game. So that's supposed to be an automatic one-game suspension. So perhaps both teams will be down their most important defensemen, um, you know, come game five. But, you know, it's, it's I'd like, I, you know, selfishly, because from an entertainment standpoint, you'd like the games to be closer. Um, but no, I do, I do think the Oilers have shown us something here. I mean, they, they, they went down even against LA too, right? Like they've, they, they just look composed in the tough moments. And that's, you know, obviously what you need to somehow get 16 wins in the, in the spring and, uh, lift that cup. Honestly, just, I want to focus on the, the Petrangelo slash, and we can get into the nurse fight as well. 
Like I saw that slash at the end of the game and I thought, okay, he should at least get a fine. But there's a part of me thinking, you know, man, you know, are they going to suspend him? Are they not going to suspend him? It just feels as if with the inconsistency with some of the judgments being handed out this postseason, I think you have every right to wonder if they would even go so far as to do that. They're, I mean, he's going to be in a hearing, but or, I mean, at the time that we're getting this, uh, he's going to be in a hearing uh, today. But uh, yeah, it just at least for me, just trying to just keep stock of how all of these different punishments have been doled out. I, I think I'd every right to think, you know, hey, maybe they don't punish him, but they definitely will. It seems like in this case, I would be stunned if he's not suspended at least one game. I mean, that's just my view of the play. You know, if you remember the, the three-game suspension Michael Bunting got in the first round uh, for, for hitting Eric Chernak in the head, I know a big part of what went into the player safety decision there is basically he went out of his way to a player who's not in the play and injures him. Now, in this case, it, it seems that Leon Dreisaitl came through that okay, uh, but it's hard not to view that in the same light. Again, it's a different type of infraction. Uh, Dreisaitl did have the puck and had gotten rid of it, but... I mean, Petrangelo goes way, well out of his way and delivers a pretty meaty slash to an area that, that could do damage to probably the best player on the Oilers right now. I mean, Drysaddle might be their MVP in the moment, right? Um, and so I don't, I don't see how we would deem that not to be intent to, to injure. And I, don't, I just think the league can't let that kind of stuff go because, you know, the consequences are evident. If players see that that is, is not checked... Um, you know, we're going to have people running around injuring others. I, I think, I think it's, it's inevitable. So I would be stunned if he's not suspended, but I've been surprised before, man. I, I, I think in general, player safety is too lenient. Just my view. I'd like to see them give out longer suspensions, more suspensions. I think that it would serve the sport, but you know, obviously George Peros and the staff he has working for them view it a little bit differently than I do. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a conversation for another time when we have more time, but just generally, I want to see more consistency in these punishments. Just if you see something similar, you look at it and you think, oh, this was one game for this person, but for another situation when it's happening to somebody else, it's like a fine or not worth that same punishment. I find there's just too many of too many, too many of those situations. And it's just really hard to keep up with what should be suspendable how long should be suspended for i've I've put up on twitter the the wheel of justice at different points of the postseason just a cruelly drawn wheel that's not even a proper you know anyway i don't need to describe it too much but that's basically just what it is it's just inconsistent right and and part of it is look at the infractions themselves are so different at times but i just think you definitely can't have some like this was not a, a hockey play we would call it right uh, like it wasn't like he slashed him while trying to knock the puck off his stick or in a battle and maybe just, you know, missed a little bit, you know, which is sort of what happened. Like some of the cross checks we've seen in these playoffs, I'm thinking there was one by Sam Lafferty on Ross Colton. I think it was just a battle that went wrong. Like it wasn't like Lafferty intentionally meant to hit Colton in the head. He ended up getting a fine there. And so I think that's a sign that player safety sort of shares my view, but it wasn't, wasn't an intent to injure. I, I don't know how you can view this as, anything other than in a 5-1 game or whatever it was at the time, Alex Petrangelo taking an opportunity to try to take a chunk out of Edmonton's top player, one of their top players, and, and it's in front of everyone, and, and, and chaos ensues. I, I, I think that the league has to step in and at least sit him down for a game. Other than the suspensions that uh, could be doled out, 
uh, just with the way that the series has gone so far and the fact that it's still just kind of even on its head, do you feel that, like, I know it's not really pulling in any other, in any other way, but how do you see these next three games going? If it goes to that point, because it could go seven. I think it's going to go seven, but yeah. not to telegraph it. I, I hope that they play a 2-1 or 3-2 game at some point. Um <laughs> I'm saying this even selfishly because they're lined up with the games I'm covering the same night. So by the time I'm getting my post game work done, I get a chance to check in on the Oilers game and it's four one. It's just like, Oh, you know, this isn't that compelling to, to be watching. Uh, I think it's good. To, I mean, I would imagine I would have, if you had asked me this question though, before the last couple of games, I would have said, okay, it's going to tighten up now. Like the, you get the sort of crazy ones out of the way and, and now they're going to play playoff style hockey. Um, I guess it just depends how it's refereed too. There's a lot of power plays in the game four. And obviously with Edmonton's power play, that's, that's an area where they can cash in and, and you know, put up some, some regular season type of numbers. But I, I really don't know what's going to happen. It, it's been such a strange, crazy series back and forth. Um, you know, Vegas is a tough place to play. I know it's been the year of the road teams by and large, but um you know, the Golden Knights might go home and defend home ice in game five. And then Edmonton's in that situation that I've been talking about where they, they do seem to find a response when they need one, but eventually you want to see them get on the front foot and not put themselves in that spot. I mean, I game, game five goes kind of without saying, it's just so pivotal um, to, to set someone up with at least two chances to close this thing out. But I, it's, it's look two close teams to the best teams in the Pacific and two teams that will probably be favored to win the cup. Whoever comes out of this entering the next round, I would think. Um, although I'll leave that to David Bastel and the, the fine folks who, who handicap these things. Very fair point. If you can give me a quick thought on the Seattle Dallas series. I just wonder if Seattle is going to wear down a little bit, like not having game breakers. I mean, I I've spoken a lot. I, I really like watching play. I respect it. They're relentless. You know, they roll you multiple lines at you that have done damage a lot of sort of unsung type of heroes through these playoffs but i just wonder if they're going to have enough to get through this round uh you know as they, they had to game five okay and uh, give me a quick thought on uh, carolina new jersey uh the hurricanes obviously in the driver's seat the hurricanes one of the scouts is talking about so like they they're, they're not tough to play against in the sense they're not out there gooning you up but they make the game tough, right? They're so good and structured defensively. They're not allowing a lot. You know, the Devils came off that series with the Rangers where, you know, especially after those first two games, they really had their way offensively, created a lot of chances, scored a lot of goals in a couple of the games. That's gone away on them, and, and I think it's it's been difficult. Um, I I think that one's over. I, I, don't, I don't see it. I mean, obviously, mathematically, it's possible. It's like anything, but I just, I think that, the Hurricanes' experience and their structure will be enough to, to carry them through with three chances to close it out. Okay, you don't have to be as quick with this next one, but this is the first time we get to talk about it. The draft lottery uh, goes down this week. Chicago ends up with the first overall pick, so that means Connor Bedard will likely begin his career in Chicago. What are your thoughts on that? The Blackhawks tanked. They did it properly. I mean... I don't know what your views. I don't know if you've ever really gotten into the sort of moral views on tanking. To me, it's it's smart roster management when you're when you're so far gone from being so far gone, and that organization, you know, has stockpiled draft picks and and you know they they 
ironic. They won a game, I believe, in Pittsburgh, wasn't it? At late in the year, and everyone freaked out. And if they didn't win that game, they don't win the draft lottery. So, I mean, the lottery really is a lottery. Um, and now they've now everything changes in Chicago. Everything. Uh, that's that's how special I think Connor Bedard is. I think it, it puts an onus on them to probably scale up quicker than they thought they were going to. Maybe maybe one more down year. Um, one year where they're, they're not looking to be competitive, but I don't think it's a three-year window before we're talking about them potentially pushing for a playoff spot. So there's a lot of work to be done, but I mean, another franchise altering bounds for a franchise that's been fortunate to have, you know, a few high-end players that, that, that panned out, obviously Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, chief among them. Uh, I'll say it. I don't, you don't know if you want to say it, but I'll say it. I, I did like the fact that Chicago got that first overall pick. I get that that's how the ping pong balls fall, but I also see what the reputation's been like for Chicago. We've discussed this, the situation with them over the last year and a bit to see them kind of, you know, rewarded essentially with a generational player just kind of falling into their lap, kind of taking over after Taze and Kane have left the organization. Uh, it didn't really sit well with me, to be honest with you. And I felt very, uh, I think it sucked. I'll be real. It sucked. I'm not going to be one of those people who are going to be like, oh, the draft lottery was rigged and all that. But I, I didn't like it, and I think that it's, uh, I'll tell you it, this: it it's not tell rigged. Me. It is not rigged. Oh, I, I will, know that for sure. I will it's say that unequivocally. No, I know, but it's just like I don't know why it always persists. Maybe it's because they do it behind closed doors, but they do it with scrutineers from every team. There, they do it literally with an accounting firm conducting it. it it's it's not rigged. Sorry, I, I'm not pushing against you on that. I just saw so much oh. of that on Twitter and stuff, and I'm like, I. I I, we we can know it's not rigged. There's there's I'm not even going to name the the teams or the situations, but the league wouldn't have placed every one of these players in the places they've been placed on purpose. I agree with that. I think a lot of that too. You, Kevin Weeks had the production flub where he he kind of already spoiled the fact that Columbus would draft third, and I think that's that fueled some of that a bit too. Uh, but no, I, I I don't believe for a second that it's rigged. But I do feel that seeing Chicago get Connor Bedard, even if it is just a matter of luck, like that's, I, 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 I don't feel great about that. And I think I've either said on this show or other show or other shows that like, I don't even feel that they should be getting that first over getting any first round picks because of what's happened with the Kyle Pete situation. But I digress on that, but just, I just have to put that out there. I'm not necessarily a fan of, of them winning that, pick. but that's just yeah. my opinion. I don't equate the two myself, but I, I mean, look, you're entitled to your opinion. Of course. I mean, they, they, that no one is really left over from that era. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, you have to move forward, I suppose, but yeah, look at it's, it's going to be interesting there. I mean, they have so many first round picks too, right? They, they got the two for Brandon Hagel. Um, like they, they could, I think the question should be how quickly can they like contend again? I know that sounds crazy when you just saw their year, but, but I mean, that's, you get the one guy in the middle of the ice who's a game breaker who could be potentially at some point the best player in the league. And, and all of a sudden we're looking at you differently, but you know, our, we should also look at Edmonton and Toronto and all these other places and know that one player doesn't guarantee you, you know, there's there's seven and eight years in with their, their star players and still trying to get over that hump. So. Last thing before stick taps uh, flyers officially naming Keith Jones as president of hockey operations and they take off the interim tag from Daniel Briere, uh, so he's now full-time GM of the Flyers. A quick thought there? 
this is a general thought as opposed to a specific thought on the Flyers. I'm still waiting and wondering when NHL teams are going to think a little more advanced about how they, they build their front offices. And I, I want to be clear. I know Keith Jones socially. I really like him. Like he's really a genuine, he's a real one. He's a genuinely good dude. Very personable. I'm sure he knocked it out of the park in his interview because of that. And, and he's, you know, he lives in Philadelphia. He's a Flyers guy. Like, like it's, it, it's, so it's not, I don't, it's, it's not about him for me. It's more about like, why are more teams not copying Tampa? Like I've always wondered that for, for like lack of a better word. And I, and it's cause I lump myself into this category. It's like, what are more nerds going to run teams or, or, and, and I, and I don't say that, with any scorn, because I think of myself sometimes in that Nerd way. is not a bad word. Right. Nerd is but not a bad I, word. Let's, what I mean is more lawyers, more people at MBAs with, with high-level experience running big businesses and other industries. Like, I don't understand the idea of just in general, just on the surface. Again, not with the individuals here. A rookie president and a rookie GM at the same time doesn't make much sense to me. And trust me, in my network of people I talk to, this is being discussed behind the scenes in hockey too. And And... So it's not me taking any run at Keith Jones or Daniel Barrier, um, who I've got a lot of time for both guys. It's, it's just, it doesn't seem like an optimal way to run a big business um, to me. Like there's, there's, there's people out there that have been GMs for 10 and 15 years that are still at a working age. Like that's the person I would want at minimum in that type of role. Cause at least that person has an experience level they could share with Danny Barrier. Um, but here we are. I just, I, and I, and I think a lot of teams still default to, to people that played hockey and, and that's worked in a lot of instances. I mean, Joe Sackick has a huge hand in building the team that won the most recent Stanley cup. Steve Eisenman had a big hand in building the Tampa teams, even though he'd moved on by the time they got the job done. I'm not saying that there's no role for, for hockey people uh, in, in, in the sport, but I, I think that there should be more rounded backgrounds in front offices just in general. And I think it's inevitable but then another year goes by. This is another round of hires that, that are not not proving my thesis to be correct. Well said. Do you have a stick tap before we go? You know, I, I, I'll stick tap Joseph Wall just because I'm, I'm such living. It's so funny in the playoffs, Julian. Like, I'm living this series, right? Every single day, I'm going to the media availabilities. I'm going to the games. You know, you, I'm really caught up in it. And so I, I didn't step back and take a big, big picture thought. But pretty cool to see someone thrown into the situation he was, to have a good game. He seems like a really mature, nice kid. Uh, and so he's top of mind as, as we stand here. So I'll, I'll stick tap him for, you know, getting put in a tough situation. Down 0-3 and having to start your first Stanley Cup playoff game. It's uh, I think it was his 13th or 14th ever NHL appearance. You know, he started this year. This is ironic. He lives in St. Louis in the offseason. He, he had a knee injury last summer. He actually rehabbed last summer with Matthew Kachuk, who also off-seasons in St. Louis. Um, but he missed training camp. Like, it's it's just, it's pretty cool to see him put together the kind of year he did, given the, where it started. And uh, got, got a big win that he'll, he'll probably remember the rest of his life. Uh, so, so stick back to him for success. I will give my stick tap to uh, Golden Knights defenseman Zach Whitecloud, uh, who... Um, Fortunately, on ESPN, uh, an anchor made an insensitive joke uh, about his last name. Uh, it just so happens that uh, Zach is from the Sioux Valley, Dakota Nation. Uh, and he took the time to address that uh, after that incident happened. And uh, he actually forgave the anchor. And, you know, it's an opportunity for a lot of people to learn from those types of situations. And uh, just uh, want to give a stick tap to Zach uh, for just addressing that situation with class. 
Yeah, yeah. I said something along the lines of, you know, people make mistakes. I understand that. And I, I think the anchor called him, gave him an apology too, right? So That too. So, yeah, these things happen. Uh, so sticks tap, stick taps to Joseph Wall and Zach Whitecloud. You got a fight to catch, my man. So we're going to let you go. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with uh, another edition of the show. We'll have questions. Subscribe to the podcast however you consume the podcast. Siege, I hope uh, you catch your flight on time, buddy. Yeah, what, what city will I be in on Monday? I don't even, I can't even like Ooh. keep track of that. I mean, I guess know. we, we got to know what happens in Friday's game. Uh, <laughs> but I might be right back here at the airport doing a hit with you. Who knows? I, I'll, I've got this garbage can trademark now, so I know, I know where to go <laughs> if, that's, if that's the circumstances as they play out. <laughs> Yeah, get some like masking tape and just put like an X so that way you remember the spot. I'll put a CJ sign on here. Ooh, put a CJ sticker. I have to do that in the press room. I I usually leave a little CJ sign to save my spot. Oh, so. yeah, you should do that. You should absolutely look. This this podcast is taken over, man. We got to mark our territory however we can. Exactly. Exactly. You know what? Monday. I just thought of it. So game five Don't would we. be Friday. If there's a game six, it would be Sunday. So I actually would be, if this happened, I would be flying home on Monday back to Toronto. I literally could do it from this garbage can again. And we might be previewing a game seven. Or maybe we're just knee deep and talking about the offseason and, and what it all means. Like it, that's, that's, the playoffs are crazy. It's crazy. They are insane. But already, Monday's episode, regardless of what happens, I am excited for. And it is going to be in-depth. It's going to be fun. And there's going to be a lot to talk about, man. Get some rest. I'm going to try to get some rest. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you all on Monday. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long. Peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.